Welcome to Daring Two, a podcast that finds out how CEOs and entrepreneurs navigate today's business world. The conventions they're breaking, the challenges they faced, and the decisions that they've made. And lastly, just what makes them different. Well, welcome to the episode of Daring Two. You know, it's really interesting. I get so many great like guests. I'm like today, like, I mean, who would it think that a banker and an industrial sewing machine. I mean, put those two together, right? That's pretty daring. What do you do if you get if you cross a bank, an ex-banker with an industrial sewing machine? Patrick, I'm delighted to welcome you on the show. Um, thank you for joining me. Patrick, um, you are the CEO of the company of the Plico. Plico, uh, I'm going to make sure I say that right. Plico, right? right? Um, and the most, the, the, the only, I think, ultra-compact travelling bag that has been developed. Innovation within itself. But you've got to, I've got to ask you, right? A banker, a financial banker. I mean, most people say, like, why would you give that up and then go and get an industrial showing machine? There's got to be a story there, surely. Come on. There is. You know, uh, Rita, first of all, thank you for, um, for hosting me on the show. It's a real privilege. Uh, there is a story. You're absolutely right. So I was a financier for, for many years and a frequent flyer. Uh, and it was really only because of um, a personal um, tragedy in my life that I had the opportunity to stop, so to speak, what I was doing and to start again on a different and more entrepreneurial and creative course. So when I was 39 years old, my wife passed away and I was left with two young children. And I decided not to go back into finance but to start out as a, um, a child carer, essentially, a house husband. Now, as my children got older, I discovered that I had time on my hands and the opportunity to come back into the workforce. Originally, I started as a business copywriter, my background being in finance and management. Um, but there was this problem that continued to nag me, dating back to my days as a frequent flying financier, which was how to travel with a suit without having to wear it or crush it into your hand luggage. And essentially, it was this problem that I eventually came around to solving starting around five years ago. So, I mean, I like, you know, as a, as a frequent flyer, well, before COVID-19, a frequent flyer at least, um, you know, I feel that pain of like having to pack a bag go to lots and lots of different meetings, have different outfits for different occasions, depending on what you're doing, and then finding that when you get there, you know, everything's all screwed up or crumpled. But, I mean, it's a really interesting insight that you took sort of, you went into a completely different field. Now, often people are really challenged when they think about um, taking on board this idea of uh, starting their own business and, and being creative enough and daring enough to actually test that out. So, you know, it wasn't a skill set that you necessarily had. So talk us through, how did you kind of develop that? What skills did you have, you think, that you gained from your financial career that you were able to apply, firstly? And then what did you have to learn that was new and different? Uh, you know, absolutely. So, um, you know, finance and, you know, I was working in a large corporation, a FTSE 100 company within that. So, you know, it was about finance and understanding uh finance, but it was also uh, about management. And I think those skills stand you in good stead, whatever you are doing, but they definitely don't prepare you for the kind of holistic skill set that you need to set up uh, and run your own business. 
Now, coming to the creative side of things, you know, my father, sorry, my grandfather was uh, an engineer and my mother uh, was a very creative person, painter and drawer. And I think that was always in me and perhaps a little bit suppressed while I was working in, in finance. So not many just, people would say that finance people are creative. I'm like, and I have any friends who are financers, so please, I'm only joking, really. But I mean, don't, it's like the joke, right? So, yeah, I guess there are some of these guys who create, you know, new complex derivative financial instruments who, who have a sort of um, creativity. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, by and large, when you're in uh, management, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it is much more about operating successfully within, you know, constraints and parameters that are, that are normative. Um, and, you know, creativity, you know, tends to um, thrive better outside of that kind of environment. I mean, there are exceptions, I guess, people like Steve Jobs, but, you know, there may be few and far between. So, yes, I mean, in a way, it really wasn't until I'd thrown off the shackles of working in finance um, and I had time, I literally, Rita, just to, you know, sit on the bus and stare out of the window and think about this, you know, essentially a first world problem, but a problem for many people, which is, you know, what, what to do um, about, uh, you know, traveling w- with your suit. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, the very fact that as an entrepreneur, when you start out, it's difficult. Right? You have to have, you've got an idea, you have a concept probably don't have a lot of money to be able to necessarily get it off the ground. And you've got to test out whether it works or not. Now, I've kind of done a little bit of research on you because that's what I tend to do. Um, and I was really interested to discover that you actually went back to night school, hence the industrial sewing machine, and actually learned how to sew so that you could make some prototypes. Um, tell me a little bit about testing out those prototypes. I mean, when you said to people, hey, look, I've sewn this bag, I've made it, what What's the reaction of people when you decided to say, this is what I'm doing? Talk a little bit about the reaction to that. Well, you know, I think uh, by and large, people were intrigued. So, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to be that kind of age and that kind of position in life where, you know, I have a lot of friends who are still in senior management in, you know, uh, finance and FMCG companies and lawyers and so on. So it wasn't difficult for me to find a set of people who were prepared to work with me very closely and very loyally uh, on this. So I think, you know, there was no problem with the concept, but I think what you alluded to before a couple of times, absolutely right, which is, you know, people were flabbergasted that I had this industrial sewing machine in my front window. Such I mean, a good word, flabbergasted. I mean, I think, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's such a good word, flabbergasted, because I actually was, I think, as described me when I read, like, you've got, like, an industrial sewing machine and a financer, so... Fabulous word. Didn't mean to interrupt, but tell me about that. Why were people... No, no, I mean, it's fine. Really, it's quite funny. I don't think I can sort of describe the situation um, accurately, but I signed up for um, bag making, sewing courses um, at my local college of further education, just up the road. And, you know, the day I turned up for registration... There were 11, you know, uh, women there and, and me. I mean, they looked at me as though, I, you know, I was either mad or I'd gotten the wrong cue or something. Um, and it was kind of sweet because in the classes, they were all making these lovely, exquisite little leather purses and things. And I was there with kind of heavy-duty nylons and polyesters trying to sort of fashion this first version, first prototype version um, of my bag. And, 
you know, I wouldn't say it was like hugely comic, but I mean, it was just kind of slightly odd, I guess, um, for them and for me. So let's talk a little bit about how this product's actually evolved, because, you know, you've now grown it into a successful business. And what I'm finding interesting when I have um, guests on the show is that there is a common theme around sort of successful entrepreneurs, which is their ability to really look at the market and understand their products or their solutions or their concepts um, from that customer perspective. And it, and it feels like you really did your homework, if you like, of knowing, number one, what it feels like, i.e. as a traveller, what that looks like and feels like when you have to travel and how can you kind of manage that. Um, but testing out that product. What advice would you give other entrepreneurs about um, the need to really understand what people want versus what you think they want? How have, you know, what's your kind of tips and takeaways around that? Wow. I mean, that is a really interesting question. So, you know, I mean, I think there are some obvious things there, which is, you know, do your field research very, very thoroughly. Now, I was in a slightly unusual and happy situation, which was that, you know, I had a kind of thriving commercial writing business at the time. And so I was dedicating, you know, two and a half days a week to the writing and two and a half days a week to the bag. There was no mad financial pressure to, um, uh, you know, bring the bag to market. So I, I spent, you know, probably literally 18 months um, making prototypes, reviewing them, improving the prototypes, uh, you know, reviewing them again uh, with, you know, the, the kind of people who I, I knew this product was designed for. So, I mean, definitely, you know, there is an argument for saying, and, and some people do move fast and break things. Who is that? Is that Google or Facebook or someone? Um, and, you know, maybe for some kind of products that works, but for this kind of product, it would not have worked. Um, you know, when you are ordering a minimum of a thousand bags, if they're not actually right for the marketplace, then, you know, you're never going to move to your second order. So I think there is something around there about, you know, despite the tendency, if you think you have a great idea to rush to market with it, be patient and make sure that it is, you know, absolutely the best thing that it can be uh, before you you launch it on the world. And, and so I, I think that's some really good advice. But and at, at some point you did need funding. So how did you sort of like look at expanding that business and taking that idea forward? Um, you know, crowdsourcing was, in, was something that you pursued. Not a lot of people really know the value around crowdsourcing. So from your perspective, what were the benefits of going out and trying to crowdsource money to help like fund the idea to take it to the, you know, where you really wanted to take it? Yeah, and so absolutely. Uh, you know, I think um, in terms of supporting entrepreneurship, crowdfunding has been one of the most revolutionary things of the last 10 years. Now, I know the big platforms, um, you know, have their critics, but to be quite honest, they were a godsend to me. What do they give you? Basically, they give you two things. They validate that your idea has uh, an audience, has a marketplace, and they provide you with financial security by giving you the money upfront to place your first order. And if you're doing something uh, like I'm doing, which is a physical good um, and needs to be manufactured in quantity to be viable, that is absolutely critical. So uh, in a nutshell, it's those two things. So we're going to talk about you and boldness because there's a lot of obviously um, 
work, I guess, that's been done, research that talks about skills and capabilities that leadership needs, whether you call it courage, whether you call it determined, whether you call it bold. Um, Let's talk about some of those individual capabilities. So let's talk about boldness for a minute. So many of my listeners are not in the UK, um, but if they are listening to this and I mentioned Dragon's Den, um, I would say to them, think of the equivalent of Shark Tank because that's a show that takes entrepreneurs and moves them forward. Now, um, you know, in fairness, you got a bit of stick for that at the end of that program in the UK. You were, you actually went on Dragon's Den, which is for entrepreneurs to sort of showcase their 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 idea, their concept, their innovation, and get some funding from some very experienced entrepreneurs who are now very successful and looking to invest. Um, there you were, all excited to go on the show. Um, having got through that, I'm sure they have like a long list of people, so your idea obviously resonated. But after the show, there was a kind of a bit of a backlash to your response, which was to walk away from the cash. Now, um, that must have been hard to take in some ways. And what would you say you learned from being on that show and, and, and being in that, in that kind of pressure situation? Was it boldness? Was it around actually sort of stepping back and reflection and saying, hmm, maybe it was boldness, but, you know, with maybe I needed to do some more thinking or was it absolutely just follow my idea and, you know, I don't care how experienced somebody is, I know I've got something and I'm not prepared to compromise it. Was it all of those above? I mean, I like I was juggling like all those things over, like balls in the air, thinking like, well, you know, I wonder what's going through Patrick's head when he was thinking that. And like, how did he react to all of that criticism and... You know, stick that he got. Stick, for those of you that don't understand, is slang for, like, flack or, like, grief. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But um, unfortunately, you were, um, I mean, great media coverage. But, I mean, personally, let's talk about it. What's it like? What was that? And what what, is that an example of for you as a leadership capability? Uh, uh, Okay. So there's there's a lot to um, unpack there. But let me uh, preface uh, everything by saying, Rita, that, uh, you know, what you see on the television, uh, my segment is about, you know, 12 or 13 minutes. Uh, But behind all of that is, uh, in my case, an hour of discussions and negotiations that essentially to make this uh, compelling for the viewers and, you know, short enough to broadcast it, you know, is 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 massively oversimplified. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we uh, had a lot of quite technical discussions that were not broadcast around evaluation math- methodologies. Now, <laughs> that, that may not be of much interest uh, to to your listeners either. But you know, obviously, there are several different ways of, of valuing companies, and it will vary depending on whether it's a mature business. Uh, or whether it's, you know, like mine, is is a startup. And essentially, the problem, and this was not aired, the problem was that, uh, you know, we couldn't agree on evaluation methodology. And, you know, I really felt that I was banging my head against a brick wall saying, you should not be valuing my startup like Unilever, or, you know, some other very mature business you should be valuing it on a different basis. I mean, I won't go into the methodologies unless you think it's interesting. But essentially, all this had happened. And what became clear to me during the discussions was that, you know, they weren't going to budge on the way they thought that my company should be valued. And I wasn't going to concede on the way I thought it should be valued. And really, you know, on that basis, that we were not going to agree on a valuation methodology, you know, the many other benefits that would have accrued to me 
of taking investment around, you know, the expertise of these, um, you know, very shrewd business people would, would count for nothing because I would essentially be, to my mind, giving away the company for much less than it was worth. Now, as I said, unfortunately, all that subtlety was lost. And, you know, in my opinion, uh, I think it looks like I walk away rather petulantly, um, having had a sort of 10 minute discussion um, about, you know, the company, the product and, and the business. So that essentially was at the heart of it. Would I say that was bold? I don't know. I think that sounds a bit self-aggrandizing. Uh, I don't think it was foolish. Um, I do think if I'd accepted a lowball offer of investment, you know, I would be regretting it now and, and cursing myself forever. That makes sense. Yeah. So I guess like it's a, like a, a, upon reflection, you look back and you say, hey, you, people don't necessarily get to see all of the things that go on in these situations. Um, but as you reflect back on it, uh, you go, well, maybe that like that judgment call was a good call for giving where the business is um, today. I, get, I guess there's some learnings that come from just being in that kind of high, it's a high pressure environment to be in. And I think we often think that, oh, that's TV. But the reality is, in business, there are so many high-pressure situations, and particularly as an entrepreneur trying to get something off the ground, there are many, many high-pressure situations. So having what you learn from those high-pressure situations are so powerful. Can you think of any of the ones that have been really powerful for you, either after Dragon's Den or in other situations? They've been high-pressured, but you know, you've learned something that said, well, I may do something differently next time, or actually, I would do that again in a heartbeat. What kind of experiences can you share with some listeners around that, because I, I expect that there will be many of those situations that they find themselves in. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, that's, um, that's interesting. You know, I think the, the main learning point from the Dragon's Den negotiations, you know, and indeed from, from any negotiation is, you know, if you are confident that you have a solid business proposition, then you should not be afraid of walking away. That's a great, great answer. So follow, follow the passion. If you believe in something that looks really important to you and you know that it's worth something and it's an idea, follow it through. Don't be scared to like follow that through to fruition. So I've got to talk yeah, about I'm COVID-19. Sorry, just, yeah. Oh, sorry, Rita. No, I'm just sort of going to extend on that and say, you know, it's really, it's, it's about two things. You know, the first is you know, to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to have a certain amount of bravado and, and self-confidence. But there's no point in having that unless, you know, you can back that up with, you know, something that's a really solid uh, proposition. Now, I turned down the uh, Dragon's investments, but I have no doubt that at some stage in the future, I'll be talking to people about investment again because I do believe that it's a good product and, you know, I don't think it would have got on Dragon's Den if it weren't. And so, you know, essentially, um, it, it's not like this was a wasted experience. I think a lot, a lot of people who were kind of commenting and watching this said, you know, what a, what a waste, what a fool. He got this far. He fell at the final fence. You know, I, I don't believe that. I actually think it's a great sort of learning experience for people to not take away that from that, um, you know, from what they saw. Because I think entrepreneurs, whether it's, you know, in the situation with those very experienced entrepreneurs or in other high pressure situations, 
sometimes you're in those situations and you make a decision and you have time to reflect on them and you say, you know what, it may not have come across in the way that I wanted it to or people didn't necessarily get to see it all. But actually, I know what I have to, I know and I'm confident in what I'm trying to follow through on and I've got to trust that and trust my instinct on what's the right thing to do. So, you know, that, I think that's a good takeaway for people to to take from sometimes what they see because there are so many situations in which you can apply the learnings from that that situation. Now, I've got to Absolutely. ask you, right, you're in, a, you're in a business that, you know, three months ago I would have said, wow, like you must be on a, like, on a trajectory of, like, massive growth. You know, I was travelling probably, I don't know, what – uh, maybe in a month, I was on the road for three weeks of those, traveling all around the world. Since uh, the beginning of March, uh, not so much, not at all, in fact. So, and by the way, you know, your product and, and other businesses that are in similar situations where a product can really scale in certain markets and in certain situations in others, they can't. How are you rethinking your business strategy, if at all? And and are you, in fact, seeing a change or not? Who knows? Maybe you're not. No, I mean, you're absolutely uh, right. I I have seen sales, you know, it's not too melodramatic to say you fall off a cliff. Really, no one is traveling uh, and no one or very few people are thinking about buying travel goods. Um what am I doing? You know, the probably kind of obvious things that many companies are doing, which is like, you know, looking at um, discretionary spending, cutting back on that. So I'm not spending anything on marketing. I'm trying to pare back all uh, other overheads and to some extent put the business into a kind of, you know, hibernation un- until this is over. At the same time, you know, for me as a business owner, there have been some opportunities to sit and look at some strategic things that I've, you know, I keep postponing because there's always something operational to do. There's always some fire to fight. And, you know, I'm doing a really thorough review of where there are, you know, more opportunities for sales channels, growth when all this is over, you know, new markets, uh, product development, for example, we're right in the middle of doing something and I've been able to spend much more time with that. So, uh, you know, as I said at the start of the show, every crowd sort of has a silver lining. And, you know, it's it's allowed me to take a step back and look at some of those, um, you know, important things that always get sort of, you know, pushed to the bottom of the in tray, really, um, because there are, you know, other more pressing things. To, I can't tell you the amount of people that have, have made that very comment about it's almost like a liberation, right? We suddenly have time where we can stop, breathe, think and actually plan. And it, it, it's such an important point, I think, for listeners to, to sort of take away, that this isn't necessarily, a, you know, oh, we've fallen off a cliff, because, yes, that may have happened in the sense of where you were, but actually there's such a great opportunity to sort of step back and do, as you said, the things that you know you want to do, but, like, we just haven't had the time to do. And there's an opportunity, that window of opportunity to really leverage until, you know, things change again. So I think that's a really valuable piece of information to actually say, take advantage of the time to really step back and look. No, I mean, I think think, uh, you're absolutely right. And I think there's also a very kind of interesting question um, out there, which is to, you know, to what extent will this experience change the way we think about what we're doing, uh, you know, when the crisis is over? How much of of the lessons uh, of this, you know, 
a tragic episode um, will stick and, you know, um, something, you know, positive, if you like, in terms of change will come out of this. Let's or challenge this, our... we just go back to how we were before? Yeah, know, let's challenge our listeners to that. I think we should take a poll. What's your, what's, what's your bet? Let's you and I, like, kick it off and then, you know, um, to say what, how much, what percentage do you think of all the things that people have learned? Uh, you know, new tools, new technologies, time that they're using, how they're spending it, what they're doing. What percentage of it, of it do you think is going to stay the same? Um, like that people are going to actually implement the new stuff or it's going to, people are going to forget it. You know, I, I think there are some useful things and, you know, this, this platform that we're talking on now, I think it is one of them. Uh, and, you know, I think people will rely on this kind of, um, you know, remote conferencing uh, much more going forward. Um, you know, I, I hate to sell, say this as someone who sells travel products, but, you know, people might um, think uh, more diligently coming out of this, you know, do I need to be rushing around so much on, on a plane, which, you know, while it has its glamorous moments is not particularly great for the environment and, um, you know, quite sort of wearing for, for the frequent flyer. I used to be one myself and you are too. So I think I think there will selectively be things uh, that come out of this that that people stick with, and you know others other things. Uh, you know the enjoyment of the solitude that we've maybe been having is great, but I think we'll all be craving you know proper old fashioned human company and getting together for for dinner and stuff like that and going to the movies, and you know that that I think people will you know will want to get back to. They won't kind of continue to sit at home and watch netflix because that's the only thing there is to do i do agree with you i think that human connection is really important too i so i'm going to take a percentage but i'm going to be bold and like out there and i think that we will see around 45 percent of change in behavior and things that people do differently and businesses do differently going forward there's my bold bet for the future if i crash and burn um, I'll have learned something because I will have some more insights that will take me to a different place. So that's my challenge to everybody. Let's see what maybe our listeners come back with as well and, and put a poll out there when we um, air this episode to see what people think they're going to actually take forward um, in terms Great. of new insights and new learning. So I actually think, you know, it's interesting. You've developed this this compact bag, which means you can actually take it on the plane with you. You don't have to put it through all of that like as you don't have to get it all weighed and rest of it, you're basically looking after it yourself. Hmm. I wonder in the, the days forward when traveling will probably start again as people get more comfortable. Isn't that an opportunity in some way? Because you're less concerned about it touching so many people's hands and being in so many different ways. I don't know. Sounds like it could be an opportunity um, for your product. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But Thank you, Rita. Well, you I, I'm certainly free, hoping free so. sales advice. There you go. I don't mind. Thank you. I hope not. No, I mean, I'm being serious in all honesty. I think, you know, it's ideas like that that actually you can see how they can be applied and actually, you know, help. They can help in so many different ways to um, enable travelers to, to be forward. Who knows? But I, I, I put it out there because I'm sure that there are many other sort of products and ideas that businesses might have. And what, what you did was take a problem. And actually think about, well, how do you make it easier and for, on so many different levels that can deliver something unique and different? And I'm not sure that that will go away. I think that that potentially has a lot more potential to, to go forward. 
So now, I'm just like, now having been so nice to you, this is what I thought I'd like, you know, now come in with like, you know, with a left hook, if you like. So I love the bag. I, I, I'm going to use it. But like all you talk about are like suits and men's suits and how you can get your suit in there. Well, I don't know. I mean, I wear suits too, but I'd like to see you talking a little bit more about women. So. Oh, my God. So, Mr. Patrick, uh, what are we going to do about this problem? <laughs> No, I, I mean, honestly, um, I'll tell you the truth, Rita. I, don't, I am missing 50% of my target market uh, by having a product that is, is probably fairly overtly, you know, masculine in terms of styling uh, and functionality. And that's not well, Get because... out there, get out there, get marketing, like get some women <laughs> on your team of like, you know... I don't know. Hey, sorry, prototype listen, users. I just, I just want to explain, okay? <laughs> so, um, you know what I was saying earlier about, you know, your field testing and your market research. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a male business traveler myself back in the day, I kind of felt that I had a fairly good understanding of, you know, what the problem is from a male traveler's perspective. And so I, you know, focused my research and focused my design and focused my marketing and all that other stuff, you know, mea culpa, uh, on the male market. And one of the things that's always, you know, been there in my intray has been, let's do the research with a cohort of uh, women business travelers to understand, you know, how their needs are going to be different, you know. Do they travel with different kinds of suits, trouser suits, or skirt suits? You know, do they need to pack two or three blouses? Do they have more uh, cosmetics? All these kind of things that need to be understood and factored into the design. And like I was saying, it was one of the things that always just ended up in the bottom of the in-tray because I was trying to boost sales or firefight some other problem. So please rest assured, it is very much on my radar. And, you know, I, I am... I am very cognizant of the fact that I'm guilty of ignoring this uh, enormous potential market. Well, the women um, travellers and business women would be pleased to know that. And obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about the bag being used for, for travelling, but um, for business purposes, but I guess you can use it anywhere, can't, can't you? I think my husband would be yeah. delighted to know that I might actually have a bag for going away to visit friends that doesn't, like, fill up the whole you know, back of the it, car. It's great. I mean, the, it's great for country house yeah. weekends. It's great for weddings. It's uh, great for musicians, concert musicians. It's great for students, graduating students, you know, all um, airline pilots, all kinds of people have, um, you know, come up to me and said, this, this is perfect. This is just what I need. I think the problem really is in terms of marketing communications, Rita, if you have to simply tell people like, you know, who is this bag for? It's easier just to say it's for frequent flyers, really, you know. And um, then people understand, okay, this is really for frequent flyers, but that does involve missing some subtlety around, you know, the the other um, niche markets, perhaps, uh, that, that are for the bag. But I mean, basically, anyone who ever needs to look smart could or should have a bag like this. And actually, that's a really good sort of insight for listeners as well. So if you're a kind of, a, you know, an entrepreneur trying to think about how you position what you've got as an offering or a solution... Being really crystal clear and it not trying to be everything, but focusing in on what it is, is really helpful. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. So, like, you know, be clear on who you're appealing to, because then people get it. They understand it. So that makes a lot of sense. Again, another great piece of advice for people as they're kind of thinking about developing their propositions and are in the throes of developing their business. 
because it's easy as someone who is guilty of doing that of having like so many ideas around how different solutions can apply and, and be used that you tend to want it to tell everything rather than pulling back and actually being say no yes I understand it can do all of that but let's focus on something that's core first so I think that's some really good advice no, I mean, it's, I think you raised a really interesting point there because, you know, when you're bringing a new product to market, um, you know, you want your sort of strap line or your elevator pitch to be very functional because people basically won't be familiar with this. So they need to know, like, what is it that it does, the USP, essentially. Um, you know, I think after if you become a very well-established brand like like Nike, you can have something much more aspirational, like, you know, just do it because everyone knows who you are. So you almost need to think about how you describe your product and, and, and you know, your, your strap line that goes with it as something that evolves, you know. So, you know, it, my original one was, you know, the most compact garment bag in the world because it, it was. It mm-hmm. was the smallest. And since then, since it's become a little better known, I've sort of changed it to um, the smartest garment bag in the world, mm. which, you know, it, it is very smart. It's smart because it's clever and it's smart because it looks good, but it's less sort of functional. Yep. And, you know, going forward, I could have something that wasn't really about the bag at all, like, you know, the future is unfolding, because the bag folds, but it doesn't really tell you what kind of product it is. And I think um, that's, uh, it's a great point that you've you've highlighted here about, you know, when you're marketing, you're thinking of, you know, describing your product, um, you know, how you need to think about which stage in this process of evolution your business is at. So let, let's move it just slightly for two last questions. Before, well, actually, three questions. Uh, the first one is, you know, your story is quite an um, an inspiring story, in, and I'm sure that it must be for your children to having sort of been in a in what was a sad situation, um, but taking on this role of, of staying at home and caring for your children, and then from that sort of demonstrating those kinds of values and principles to your own children. And then taking an idea, a creative idea that you have and making that happen. I mean, that's quite inspirational, quite a, much of a role model for your children. Uh, do you see that, do you think? Do you, do you ever think about that playing out in your situation? <laughs> that's really an interesting question. I wasn't expecting this kind of question at all. Um, I don't know if you have a family yourself, uh, Rita, but um, you know, when I think about my own situation, I think you only understand the contribution that your parents have made to your development way after the event, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's now only in middle age that I actually appreciate the sacrifices and the example, the sacrifices my parents made, the example that they set. Um, you know, my children who are uh, 19 and 20 I think still very much kind of live in the day. So, you know, if they're fed and they're watered and they're, you know, comfortable and, you know, well, uh, well socialized with friends, I think that tends to be the extent of, you know, how they look uh, at the world and how they look at, you know, my, my parenting skills. Um, so, you know, I, I think the jury is still out on to what extent, you know, uh, this has been positive role modeling for them. I did want to just say one other thing about uh, parenting, because obviously I have combined that, you know, as a single parent with yeah. um, launching a couple of businesses. You know, if you can manage to raise two children and, you know, 
you get them more or less out the door and they're well-adjusted and well-socialized, that's probably the most difficult challenge you're going to have in your life. Uh, relatively speaking, running a business, dealing with other adults, even dealing with crises like coronavirus, I think, um, you know, are, are relatively straightforward. God, less emotional intelligence, less... All the listeners, I can, I can almost visualize them right now, just like nodding their heads going, yep, I get it. I so agree to what you've just said. I can, I can, I can feel them. I don't have children, but I can feel them. Like, because there's right. so many people that will say, like, you know, what you think is tough, actually, just, just fall back on the skills that you've actually got. Because as a parent, you've got so many great skills that are so applicable in the business world, right? I mean, that's, that's the reality of the situation, that we undermine those skills sometimes. We don't, like put them in that context uh, i mean i think so i think your your background is in in hr but i was you know thinking about this today ahead of our conversation and you know i think hr and people skills should be put absolutely top of the agenda for anyone in management you know not not finance not you know supply chains not you know powerpoint presentations but you know um it, it should be the emotional intelligence and and you know the the uh the human side of things. And, you know, I think um, that's, you know, I have learned from parenting um, how to be a better person in business, not necessarily better businessman, but a better, you know, human in the way that I interact with, you know, all my stakeholders. Well, a powerful, powerful um, lesson, I think. And, you know, I actually think uh, the coronavirus is teaching leaders today um, to be more humane. In, in, in many ways and have more empathy in many ways than they've needed to before. And that might be that kind of burning platform that we needed to have the kind of leadership that we all look for and admire and want to see um, around the world. So like, you know, it feels like we're on this like kind of, I don't know, I think a precipice of maybe some really good things coming out of what we're seeing. And I think like those insights that you've given around sort of parenting will resonate so well with so many people um, who, who do have to balance both, by the way. I mean, it's not an easy thing to have to do. And it's a reality that there is other things in the world that you have to balance along with business. And, and you've shown that it is possible to do and that actually some of the other stuff is a lot harder. So don't lose sight of that. Well, it sounds like your business is really expanding. and We wish you really well with it. And so I think like just some really heartfelt lessons that, and learnings that you've been able to give people today are going to be really helpful for people as they're whatever stage they are at their businesses and actually even really experienced CEOs, I think have an opportunity to really reflect. It's getting some of the basics right and really thinking about what's important and how you connect and, and, and follow a dream and make it come true is the important thing. But you know, there's always one question that I have to ask, which is like, have to, I like to ask, which is a daring to moment. I mean, you must have so many, I could think about 10 that you've already said, but let's try and think of some ones that we haven't heard. So what's your daring tea moment that you would say that you have had um, either personally, professionally, that you would like to share with people that they could maybe think about and reflect on? Thank you. I mean, the, the, you're right. The, there have been several um, uh, junctures. Um, but, you know, I, uh, let, let me just pick really the most recent one, which was, uh, I think, to break out of my comfort zone you know, which was very much rooted in finance and management and then writing about finance and management, uh, giving that up to actually do something that I'd always hankered to do, which was to create a physical product 
that, you know, actually did something, albeit in a fairly modest way, you know, to to Im- improve people's lives in some way. So just do something that was better, um, more innovative, more functional than something that had been done before. And, you know, all the kind of risks that go with doing that. Um, and also all the new skills that, you know, I had to really learn quite late in life, you know, in, in my mid forties, um, going back to, to night school to learn bag making is just one of them. But, you know, obviously you're running your own business. You've got to be able to manage, you know, every aspect of that. Uh, and at the same time, keep the creative side of it going. So I think, yeah, daring to go back. And, you know, follow follow my dreams is putting it maybe a little bit too strongly, but this thing that had nagged me for so long to actually get around to doing it. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Patrick. Patrick Taken, CEO of the, the Pleak Bag. Um, Patrick, if people want to get hold of you, want to know more about the bag, want to know more about you, more about the company, how can they get hold of you? Is there a website? Is there an email? Is there a Twitter? Is there LinkedIn? How? What's the best way? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all of those. So uh, website is probably the best way. That's www.plicobag.com. P-L-I-Q-O-B-A-G.com. Also there on social media. So thanks so much uh, for giving me the opportunity to flag that, Peter. Great. And uh, for those that want to know more about Dare Worldwide and what we do to help people and organisations transform, you can find us on www.dareworldwide.com. You can find me on Twitter at Rita underscore Trahan. Um, and you can check out books and podcasts and thought leadership materials, um, both on LinkedIn and on the website. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening. Enjoyed the conversation? Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of Daring 2. Also, check out our website, dareworldwide.com, for some great resources around business in general, leadership, and how to bring about change. See you next time.